Hi, I'm Rob Bastow, and welcome to the latest edition of uh, the Rider Rumblings video podcast. Uh, I am with, as always, uh, the estimable Murray McCormick, uh, leader post beat writer of uh, uh, considerable esteem, esteem and experience. Uh, we're here in the Mosaic Stadium press box, actually watching uh, was it day 10 of, of rider practice, rider training camp now. And uh, today we're just going to kind of go through position by position uh, and uh, assess where the team is now. They're the, uh, the scrimmage is on Saturday, so uh, uh, I think we're getting down to the brass tacks a little bit as far as how the, the players are, are uh, stacking up and some things to watch. So uh, we're just going to painstakingly, hopefully not painfully, <laughs> take you through this uh, the, the addition of the 2021 20, Rough Riders as they appear uh, as of now. So, um, well, let's start with the, uh, the topic of conversation that always... Uh, I think engages people up being the quarterbacks. Now, there's not a lot of mystery here, obviously, at the top of the tier. But uh, beneath Cody Fajardo, uh, there's plenty of questions. How would you assess it so far, Mer? Uh I think there are questions. I think the the next question is Isaac Harker. And I, think, I don't think he's really got a question mark. I still think he's going to be the backup. I haven't seen anything from Paxton Lynch or Mason Fine or uh, Tom Flacco to make me suggest that they're in any position to push him. And that's not saying... They aren't. It's just that the the reps get progressively less the further down the depth chart you go. So Cody Fajardo gets the majority of the reps. Isaac Harkin does the other guys do. And so they don't get as much of a big opportunity to show what they can do. And because there aren't any preseason games now, they got to show what they can do in practice. And again, you, we look up and we see a great pass. We see a great throw. We see one dropped or something. We go, do we blame it on the players or whatnot? But I, I don't know how much they've shown. I think... I think they're going to go, they have to go with three quarterbacks. So one of them is going to be on the roster. But the question is, who wants to stay up in Canada to make the money on a practice roster? Paxton Lynch has made his money. Does he want to stay up here for practice roster money? That's a question that he has to answer himself. But uh, I I think we have to, we kind of glossed over Cody. Cody looks good. And I think people want to, people, no one asks me how I'm doing. They ask me about how Cody looks. And he looks good and he looks like he's, you know, he's going to be ready. He's enthusiastic. We can tell by his uh, his media conferences with us. So I, I don't think there's questions at quarterback, but I think the big question has been answered last year with Cody Fajardo stepping two years ago, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Cody Fajardo stepping up and uh, starting. So it's fun to watch and speculate who's going to be there. But I don't know, Rob, maybe you've seen something that I haven't seen by watching quarterbacks. But. Um, well, I mean, you know, Cody mentioned the other day he doesn't want to be in a flash in the pan. And that's still the question that hovers over Cody Fajardo is can he can he do it again or is he going to be another Jonathan Jennings with the one big year or Casey Printers who was, uh, yeah. who was uh, here and gone, et cetera. Uh, that's the, that's the, uh, the key question actually for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and one that I think will will assume a greater degree of importance as we get closer to the regular season, especially if the, the quarterbacking derby in the West Division shapes up as as uh, as one would anticipate with without the injuries that uh, took place uh, in in 2019. If Michael Riley has a big year in BC, Bo Levi Mitchell if he just stays healthy, Trevor Harris in in Winnipeg and pardon me in Edmonton, and what if Zach Kalaros can go the distance or relatively close to the distance in Winnipeg? That's quite the uh, quintet of starting quarterbacks in in the West Division. 
uh, you know, Cody Fajardo is a returning, uh, most outstanding player in the West, a returning CFL All-Star, but by no means is he a lock for uh, for either post again this this year because of the the caliber of quarterbacking, especially in the West Division. So uh, he's got to elevate his play, and uh, and uh, he's eminently capable of doing that. Uh, but uh, it, it, uh, <laughs> it's going to be quite the challenge. Yeah, it will be quite the challenge. Uh, big concerns of the offensive line. Big, 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 big. I think yesterday was kind of traumatic. The first to hear that, uh, oh boy, Cyrus, you want to take the last name, Rob? Gino. Gino is uh, retired. And then Taryn Vaughn has a shoulder injury. Cyrus Gino. Cyrus Gino. And uh, Taryn Vaughn has a shoulder injury that could keep him out another week. And that means at least, another week. At least another week to two weeks. So, boy, oh, boy, this, we're talking back in the beginning before Brennan Labatt and uh, to Kobe Cofield and these guys. Around. We thought they had a pretty decent offensive line. All of a sudden now it's, it's very young. It's very raw. And uh, what are they going to do to find replacements for these guys right now? Because – it's not that easy. They can't just bring a guy in anymore. They have to go through quarantine. They have to do all the jump through all the hoops. So that's, that's it's not as easy to find an offensive lineman as it might have been. So uh, I don't know what they're going to do. They're, we're looking. I was looking today to see what was going on out there. They haven't really broken down yet, but it looks like there's going to be uh, some shuffling on the offensive line. And can they keep Cody healthy? That's the big question on the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, the real, only real uh, – Evan Johnson's going to be fine. Uh, Dan Clark is going to be fine. After that, I mean, if Taron Vaughn can answer the bell for the regular season opener on August 6th, that's, that position is not going to be a concern. Uh, as far as right guard, it looks like, uh, you know, Brett Boyko is, is going to be the, the, the choice there. Um, it comes with some, some solid credentials, but uh, there's still some, some question marks. I mean, he was – there for the taking for the Rough Riders when they when they when they signed him. Um, as far as right tackle, either dealing with a dealing with a shortage of personnel, uh, but I mean Cameron Jefferson has uh, has been been pretty impressive. Uh, he was playing some some left tackle on uh, on Monday in place of in place of Taron Vaughn. So I think Cameron Jefferson uh, should be solid. I just they just can't afford any more injuries. That's that's part of the key there. And if you know Logan Furland is going to fit into the mix, it looks like he was uh, he was taking the sort of the next man up situation uh, at practice on Monday. And after that, uh, you're, you're talking you know Gulp, uh, Josiah St. John. I mean Matlin Riley's hurt right yeah. now. They're just taking a they're taking a real kicking on the offensive line. And, and, uh, they and there's nothing they can do about it. Up. There's nothing they can do about it. They they, they kind of. They're at the threshold now where they just can't afford anything else to, to happen, and uh, and uh, there's still there's still more than two weeks before the first game. Boyko was at right tackle quite a bit yesterday too. That was something, and so and Evan Johnson was back at right guard for quite a bit, and Logan Furlan was playing left guard for quite a bit too. Boyko's not natural tackle. He's well, he was a tackle with with BC, but that was before that was that. I think he got benched there because that was remember how horrible they were. How many sacks? They gave up, and they brought in Kelly Bates to solve that issue, and the BC's offensive line got better after Labor Day. So maybe that's one of the things. Boyko's got to prove himself at that position, I still think, and he's, but he's a versatile. Boy, it's just, it's just mind-boggling how things have changed with the offensive line since, you know, as I said in me, when we're looking at things, the strength almost, with, with questions at right tackle. But, boy, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how they're going to get it, and they've got to watch every practice, their fingers crossed, just hoping. Not, not another tackle gets hurt because I don't know what they do after that. Even though because they have not another lineman. Period. Yeah. That's, and Craig mentioned Craig Dickerson mentioned that we're getting low on tackles, and that's 
You want to do it? And I, I just want to tell people who are watching this, we're actually watching practice. So if our eyes flip up over our screen every now and again, that's because there's something out there might have caught our attention or not. So we're not uh, ignoring you. We're just doing what we got to do when we're here. Um, Let's go to running backs. That'll be a running backs. I mean, there's not a lot of debate here. Craig Dickinson said earlier in the week that William Powell will be the starting tailback. Not a great deal of mystery to that. But he is 33 years old, so they have to have reinforcements. And I think the edge as far as number two in that the second string running back would, would uh, go to someone who uh, can also return kicks because they want their – ideally they want their, their kick returner, uh, a dedicated kick returner, to be uh, able to, to spell William Powell. And so that, that uh, I think, would give the advantage to Marcus Murphy or Jamal Morrow. Jamal Morrow. I would think uh, Morrow, by virtue of having been here in 2019 in the practice roster, I think that he stands to benefit there. I've liked what I've seen of Ralph Webb. He seems to have a nice burst. But uh, you would think with, with Murphy and Morrow, um, uh, one, of those, one of those two would likely stick around because of uh, the returnability. You know, Murphy took a punt back uh, for, a, for, the dis, for a touchdown in the National Football League once yes. upon a time. He's almost 30 years old, but he looked pretty quick, and he looks like he can catch passes out of the backfield, too. I just thought, I love how William Powell plays the game. I love how fast he hits holes and how, how tough a blocker he is and how he's great out of the backfield. He's, he's 33, but he's still, he's actually a relatively young 33. He's only four years in the league because he missed uh, half a season with an Achilles tear, so that's because his legs are pretty fresh in that way, but I just like watching him play, and he's such a great blocker that even at 33, I think he'll contribute. I would, if I was leaning anyway, I would lean towards Morrow at that backup guy. I just think they kind of look at the guy with experience, with his thoughts on the CFL and whatnot. He'd be the kind of guy like I do think Marcus Murphy is is a great guy, and he did that aforementioned punt return to the NFL. So, but he's 30, so you might look that way. But I don't think they're really sweating over their Canadian or their running backs. I think William Powell's durable enough that they can go with him, and if you can go with Morrow and Maybe Murphy makes it on a practice roster, and they see what happens there. But yeah, I don't. I don't think there's a lot of questions at running back, other than they, as long as they stay healthy. See, here's a great note: just a little touch pass from Cody Fajardo to Powell, and he just bursts right by. And I know the defenders aren't allowed to put him to ground, so it's it's hard to measure what he's doing. But just just a great little player. What a great pickup that was way back in. Boy, I can't keep track of the years, Rob. <laughs> well, when last year was two years ago, it just invites confusion. But the only thing I'll say there is that. Uh, when, when a running back reaches 33, suddenly, yeah. you know, uh, to use a baseball uh, analogy, sometimes you lose a mile or two off, uh, mile, yeah, or two, mile or two an hour off your fastball, and it might, the, deep, the difference might seem imperceptible to uh, to some, but that's enough uh, as we watch an interception. I can't tell um, you this because he's got his jersey tucked under his The jersey's back. number one is Mike Adam. Mike Adam gets the pickoff. I remember in 1996, uh, Robert Mims rushed for plus more than 1,400 yards. He was named the outstanding player in the West Division. Uh, it's actually started off quite impressively the next year at age 33, and by, uh, by midseason they had replaced him with Mike Saunders. Uh, Tim McRae was named the Rough Riders' most outstanding player in, in, uh, in 1989, that amazing year, and he was 29 years old at the time. And uh, by the time he was 30 years, years old, Lucius Floyd had taken over as a starting tailback. So it can... It can happen. Once once a, once a running back is is over 30, I don't think you can take anything in bat, in anything for granted season to season, or even more precisely game to game. So he's going to have to keep showing that uh, at 33 he can do it because it's a young man's game, and, he, and especially for a, for a running back. I mean, late 20s in the National Football League, they're now teams are now worried about the tread on the tires for running backs, and and so uh, he's 33 years old, and he's going to have to keep bringing it and. Every indication is that he will be able to, but 
That's a very precarious age. Uh, receivers. Um, mild interest here. I mean, most, uh, I think there's four spots that are, they're, well, three and a half. Uh, you can mark Shaq Evans down, obviously. Uh, uh, you can mark Tyron Moore down. Uh, there'll be a third American, likely, uh, it would likely be Jordan Williams Lambert as long as he returns just fine from, from his, uh, from, from the injured, the cut up to his hand that he has sustained at practice. But, uh, Paul McRoberts having filled in for for uh, Williams Lambert at practice is certainly uh, making a case for a, for a roster position there. I can't, I can't see him dislodging Williams Lambert, but uh, I don't know how you don't play Paul McRoberts the way he's going. That's the only question: is this, this does Paul McRoberts somehow work himself into the mix there? And they've liked Ricardo Lewis, they've liked Sharon Peak as far as the other American receivers in camp who are who are playing well, but. Uh, uh, to me, the McRoberts thing is a real wild card there. There is a wild card among those three American positions that have been designated. I remember at training camp in 19, he had that day that lit up on May 1st. Just he, I can still picture him going up so high and getting all the passes. I thought for sure he was a lock to make the roster, and he was. And unfortunately, it was a practice roster. I, I think Craig kind of suggested he had a tough time adjusting to the CFL game and getting into the playbook. Sort of Jordan Williams-Lambert when he came back from the NFL. He had a tough time adjusting to the right. You would think he would have stepped in and played. Well, they put him wide out. I mean, which was yeah, I know that was dumb. I could have, that'd be like me. I don't know if they'd be like, I could ever do that. But uh, I do I do like McRoberts. I think he can step up there. And I think we're going to have to take a look at Braden Lenius. Like, he is playing, as you said, he's the best player in camp. You notice him every single day. And that's I mean, really a compliment to him to losing 26 pounds, which compared to you, is you lost that in a week. I lost four times that. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I lost a lot of other things too because I'm old. But, but that's the other part of the equation is, is they want to start two Canadians and uh, or two nationals, whatever the terminology is these days. Um, you know, Braden Lanius is, is going to be one of them, obviously. But mm-hmm. that second spot currently occupied uh, at the wide side of wideout by uh, by 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 Justin McKinnis. Uh, and McKin- Mc, you know, Craig Dickinson, I asked directly uh, yesterday about uh, or on Monday about. Justin McKinnis, and he says he's been bothered by a quad injury. Uh, and he's been out there, but how do you not take note of, of, of what Jake Hardy's been able to do? How do you uh, how do you not uh, you know take note of of, of even Keon Schaefer Baker, a, a, a draftee, he's come in and played well. Uh, Terrell Jan is a second round choice that a lot of people thought should have been a first round choice, and Mitch Mitch Picton has, has had a pretty decent camp. So by no means is on the basis of incumbency is is that other position Justin McInnes is in terms of being a lock. I really wonder how that other spot is going to shake out because there's, there's going to be some very good players who are not only on the active roster but are on the uh, active or practice rosters because there's just they got more good Canadian receivers than they can accommodate right now. That's something to watch. Well, I think Craig mentioned, too, that uh, unfortunately McGinnis showed up out of shape. He has family responsibilities. His wife had a job, and he was basically the primary uh, person, primary caregiver at home. So he, would, he wasn't able to work out as much as he should have. So I wonder if they're just giving him a chance to work his way into shape because they did have, do have that investment as being a first-round pick in, in 19. So they, they have time and money investment. So give him a chance to get in shape, see what he can do for a couple of weeks, and just then maybe make a decision in the third week of what way things are going on right now. I, I'm a big fan of Jake Hardy. We've, we've mentioned this before. He just keeps coming back and coming back. And Terrell Janna had a great first week. I haven't noticed as much the last this last couple of days. So maybe that's just – and you can't really base that on anything. 
other than maybe they're working different ways and things like that. So maybe he's coming on too. But uh, yeah, I don't. Th- I think with Shaq Evans and Kyran, they're they're in a pretty solid way to start start off the season. Just those three questions of Jordan Williams, Lambert, if he comes back like he played in eighteen, boy, that's a that's a pretty good trio of American receivers. And you have. You know, you have Linus and McInnes out there, and you know we know how much that wide side receiver gets used anyway. So it's kind of uh, one of those well, with, with uh, Jason Moss, though, I mean, the wide side receiver oh, yeah. on one play might be a slot back on the next. You know, Jack Evans playing another wide receiver spot. He's, I think he's going to see a lot of action in the slot. They're going to move guys around, so maybe you'll see all five guys getting a, mo- a lot more passes, and, and, and they won't be yeah. sort of uh, the, the dismissiveness toward the wide side wide receiver because they're going to – the positions are going to be largely interchangeable. They want to make that really challenging for the defense to figure out uh, who to cover on, on what play, and you can't really be sure if you're defensive back A that you're going to be seeing receiver A on the next play. So uh, that's that's another variable to take into account. Um, there's lots of variables on the defensive line. I just, I just want to bring one thing I just want to bring one thing out quickly on receivers before we move on. What do you think is going to be the standard for receivers? It always was a 1,000-yard receivers. 18 game schedule. What, what's it going to be like in a 14 game schedule? What do you think will be the well, number now, that? Now a thousand yards will really really mean something. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I I mean the, for the until 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 1978, the NFL had a uh, had a 14 game schedule, and that's when you looked at a thousand yards and okay, there there were maybe two or three thousand yard receivers a year in the NFL. One year there was only one, and so um, you know Fred Bolitnikoff, for example, never had a thousand yards as a National Football League receiver. He only did it in the American Football League for the Oakland Raiders, yet he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Lynn Swan, who started off his career in a 14-game schedule, uh, had also had some good years when they went to, 18, to 16 games in 78, but Lynn Swan's in the Hall of Fame, never had a 1,000-yard year. Yeah. So that's, that's how you know, difficult it was to get 1,000 yards once upon a time in the National Football League. So if you get 1,000 yards in 14 games this year, that really means something. And O.J. Simpson once rushed for 2,003 yards in a 14-game schedule. Yeah, I remember those days. You know, and, uh, yeah. and so, uh, uh, you know, and then Eric Dickerson beat it in a, in a 16, you know, a 16-game schedule. And, you know, Barry Sanders and Terrell Davis. Yeah, they were all said too, yeah. Eric Henry. But, I mean, 1,000 yards in, in 14 games is amazing. Yeah. And, I mean, 2,000 yards. So, the, the 14-game, if you get 1,000 yards this year, uh, you're, you're really doing something. I mean, Shaq Evans should get there because he would have been – he would have reached that uh, that point in in, uh, in in 2019 in 14 games. I think Kyron Moore is a good bet to get there yep. in 14 games uh, after that 996 yards. <laughs> yeah, four yards, five yards. <laughs> yes, and, yeah. and, and so that that's going to be a something to follow. But uh, sorry, uh, I didn't mean to send you off on a tangent there. But I just that's thought okay. um, I love my stats. Um, <laughs> defensive line. Whew. Well, AC Leonard's a lock. Can yeah. I go there for? And I think. Uh, Mac Henry and Shabal DeBeer. DeBeer. DeBeer is also, I think those two guys are going to be on the, and Mike, Micah Johnson. And then who knows at right defensive end. I think Keon Adams has been great. He's really caught our eye. And uh, there's another one that Tim Williams finally got out here. And he's, he's, he had did a lot of things in the NFL, could have been in the NFL, but for some issues in his life off the field. And Pete Robertson has, has been described as a different style of uh, Russia. And so, Replacing Charleston Hughes is still the question we're all going to be asking each other. What's who's going to do that? It may take the whole season to to figure that one out. Not, no, no, there's a rush, but you just <laughs> a rush to replace a rush end. But 
Uh, you know, I, I think Craig mentioned Anthony Lanier too. He can play tackle and he can play defensive end. So there's another guy that might, his versatility might give him some little, a little bit of flexibility on the defensive line. And he's also, Craig Dickinson is also like Garrett Marino, who's primarily well, inside. You know, but, he's a uh, big looking guy. He's, he's, he's kind of guy, he looks like, I hate to say this, he looks like a defensive tackle. But you've got, the riders have got to keep in mind, I mean, uh, Micah Johnson's battling a knee problem. He battled injuries two years ago, and he's 33 years old. So they've got to make sure they have reinforcements uh, beneath him. Because he, Micah Johnson's a player with something to prove. He had the big yeah. contract in 2019, and injuries being a factor, undeniably, but he still didn't live up to that contract. And now he's two years older, and, and he's already limping in training camp. So they've got to make sure they've got some, some reinforcements there. And uh, you would think of it. If there's a defensive tackle, American defensive tackle is likely to stay. It's going to be a Garrett Marino and perhaps a, perhaps Lanier if they see him as being able to contribute inside as well. But boy, they've got to get pressure on the passer somehow. And uh, I haven't seen from from uh, it's tough to tell because you're not playing against anybody. But there's really been no defensive lineman or no defensive lineman who's just looked like the solution right now. They've got yeah. some players who've shown flashes and have some interesting credentials, especially in the case of Tim Williams. But uh, uh, there, there's by no means a, a solution that is apparent, and we won't know till August 6th or August 14th <laughs> or uh, several days beyond there. And uh, but it's crucial. And yeah. uh, there's a move. You know, AC Leonard. Uh, you know, that's the other thing. I mean, he's he's he was, he's going to be the guy now at defensive yeah. end, and teams are going to focus on him. Whereas once upon a time, I think they were preoccupied with uh, with Charleston Hughes. So is is AC Leonard going to uh, face some tougher impediments en route to the quarterback than he once did. I would think so, but I think he's also up to the task. I mean, he played so well in the in the 2019 uh, West Final against Winnipeg, and uh, the outcome of that game kind of obscured a lot of things, and one of the notables was how well A.C. Leonard played that game. I've noticed they've also dropping him back in the linebacker a little bit every now and again, so he's going to be kind of a la Willie Jefferson's when he was here. Willie Jefferson would drop back him. When he had those two picks, he dropped back him. So maybe they're going to try to utilize him, you know, take his versatility and show those kind of things. So that's it's kind of he's a great player, great story, and uh, maybe he, maybe he'll be the answer, and we won't even be talking about. Uh, so uh, you know, he caught two touchdown passes at Taylor Field against the Rough Riders while playing tight end for BC once upon a time. So. Sorry if I'm distracted. I just see a player being looked at. So I just kind of linebackers. Oh my goodness, where do we start with linebackers? Well, let's start with the easy one. Dion Lacey's going to play. He's going to play. After that, pick names out of a hat. Yeah, and I really think, and it's literally picking names out of a hat because I think Jason Shivers is trotting them out because he's trying to find, he wants film on every guy that he's got because he wants to make the right call. And people are saying to me, what's going to happen to the linebacks? This is guys, I can't really explain it to you. They're just, all the guys are getting run in and out. And they all get to get, they all get first team reps. They all get second team. They all get with, with the group C, as is also called too. And is there one or two of them that have stood out? Hard to tell because there's so many of them out there that it really isn't thing. So it's really a big hole. I think Leon uh, Dion Lacey was a great signing. I think he could play all. Th- I didn't think you no, know, he could play all because th- he's so good as well with the Eskimos that I thought that would be his natural position and maybe where he ends up. But and Craig uh, Dickinson also mentioned on Monday there is a possibility that Dion Lacey could uh, could play defensive end. <laughs> yeah, and, that was uh, a strange one. I thought if none of the uh, if that, if none of the newcomers are are found to be the solution. They do have the Dion Lacey option there, but uh, then again, well, uh, that would that would be predicated on having uh, ready-made solutions in at linebacker. And yeah. Honestly, how do you even know where to start? I mean, they're they're not sure. You know, if there's an if as far as whether they start a Canadian, 
And if so, Micah Tights would seem to have a have the inside track there. But Jordan Herdman Reed and his twin brother Justin uh, are possibilities there. But there's uh, there's you know, there's by no means a guarantee that they're going to start a Canadian. But you know that's that's the difficulty in figuring it out because you don't they only have the linebacking positions designated as two for Americans, one for a Canadian. It's just a free for all right now, yeah. and that, uh, there's a lot of players competing for not a lot of spots. Uh, so. I, mean, I wish we could provide better insights. I asked Craig Dickinson about the linebacking situation yesterday, and and uh, and uh, even he was not. Uh, he just he said they're in a, they're in an experimental stage right now. So um, how do you know? Yep, yeah. I, I don't even know if they have to start a Canadian linebacker, Rob. I think they can almost get there without having to start a Canadian linebacker with five guys on offense and two on defense. So maybe it's they can look at all on an all American, but they. They are good. One thing about them is they're going to be good on special teams. Yeah. And all of these guys are the Herman Reed brothers. Tights is another great special team. But Dion Lacey's a stud at special teams. So that's, I know we're going to look at that, but that's something you can look at the advantage of all these linebackers being here. They're going to have, they should have pretty good special teams, and they kind of need it after last year, I think, just to coverage especially. You know, the, the, the thing is, though, if they only start seven Canadians and one of them gets hurt, then they then there's a real domino effect. Whereas yeah. if, they, if they can start an eighth Canadian, then they then then if somebody gets hurt they don't have to juggle here there and everywhere and that's that's the uh, that's why the magic number for a lot of teams these days is is eight uh, because then you don't have to you don't have to bounce players all over the place so um, good boy uh, it's uh, that that linebacking situation is is utterly I wouldn't say confused but there's just so much so much mystery to it I'm trying I'm trying to find a quote that that I got from Craig Dickinson yesterday which I'll skillfully recite and uh just as far as far as right from the coach's mouth as far as the, the situation that prevails at at uh at linebacker because it's it's rather to say it's in flux i think would be a would be a yeah. where is it here um I just imagine you know here's what craig dickinson had to say i asked him about the linebacking position that's going to be tough because it's really three new players by losing larry dean early that put us into a spin what Coach Shivers is doing is trying to rotate guys at middle linebacker, weak side linebacker, and kind of see who picks up the defense and who looks good. Lacey's getting some reps at Mike, middle linebacker, and we think he can be a Mike. They also like Davis, uh, number 47, and Nigel Harris, number 42. Micah, Micah Tights can play Mike or Will. So if we go with a Canadian linebacker, he has a chance to play there, and the Herman Reed brothers are both good players. And we've got Onyeka, who has experience playing linebacker too. We're trying to figure it out just like you are. Coach Shivers is really moving the guys around in that linebacking crew, trying to find the right fit, hoping that somebody shows flashes. Without a preseason game, it's not easy, but we're trying to put them in some competitive situations where we can say who's going to rise to the top and who's going to do a good job taking those positions and running with them. I asked him as a follow-up if the only sure thing is if Dion Lacey was going to be somewhere in the mix. He says, Lacey's a veteran. That's a logical decision. He's still getting his legs under him, too. We believe Lacey can play middle linebacker. We know he can play special teams. So you're right. Lacey's probably the veteran player we believe can solidify us inside, but if one of those other guys looks better than him, we'll place Dion down low. We'll place Dion down and have him play defensive end and have him be a special teams beast. So that's how many, many cards are in play at the linebacking situation when even when the coach, who's usually pretty, you know, honest about uh, if there's a position that's just pretty much nailed down, he'll tell us. But that one's just, you know. Yep. As we started, as we said at the outset of this linebacking, extended dissertation on the linebackers, um, uh, pick a name out of a hat. Uh, defensive backfield is a lot more simple, Murr. Yeah. I'll do that one because it's, uh, it's, 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 it'll be like a day off after dealing with the 
discussion about defensive line and linebacker. <laughs> well, of course, you got Nick Marshall at uh, one of the cornerbacks for sure, Lucius Purifoy, who's having a great camp. I really have been impressed with Lucius Purifoy. He's played, he's dropped down to Sam, he's a coverage guy, he's running return kicks, just a great defensive halfback. Ed Ganey, a little bit older, but I think he's still got some, some life in those legs at the other defensive halfback position. And uh, Mike Adam at safety. Like, the question is, it happens if LJ McCray actually comes back, they can answer that question of the cornerback. But Blaze Brown's played, it's played there a little bit. And uh, they've had Canadians there. I know Eli Buka could be here too soon, too. I think, yeah, just after the first week of August, he's supposed to be back. So maybe that'll be another chance here. But I don't think, other than the question of who's going to play your wide side cornerback, I don't think there's any questions at the defensive backfield. Then it's, and it may have to be the strength of this team with the questions at linebacker, with the questions at defensive, and that they're going to have to step up. These guys are going to have to play a little bit, a little more aggressive defense and stuff. So it'll be, that's nice to see that, that that's one part, one position where there really aren't a lot of questions. And there's, hasn't been a lot of guys you've really kind of noticed. Like A.J. Hendry's a guy who's listed in the defensive backs, but he's kind of taken some, some reps at linebacker. So maybe he could be uh, moving into that coverage position with Sam, but, they, they're, they're pretty well set at that. I think uh, we'd be remiss. Jacob Dearborn has been playing pretty, getting a lot of reps too at safety. I don't, he's not in Mike's league yet, but he's been getting an opportunity with Mike coming up and playing Sam every now and again. So there's a good young draft pick that's getting an opportunity to play and a, another special teams demon. So well, they've got a few players in the secondary who've had pretty good camps. Christian Campbell's looked pretty well. Uh, Jeremy Clark looks like a guy, if I'm not mistaken, he, they can play in the secondary, or he might he might be a candidate to move down to, to linebacker. You mentioned A.J. Handy, who's played pretty well. Um, you know, Godfrey on, on Yika gives them a Canadian option at, uh, at cornerback if they opt to go there and maybe wait for for, uh, for Ali Buka to come back. Um, so Lorenzo Jerome's an interesting player. Yep. Because he's, uh, he, again, he looks like a guy who they can move around a bit. But again, there's only realistically one spot there. And uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of candidates, and, and there may be some special teams uh, considerations there too. If the we could take more talk about linebackers, I wouldn't rule out Lorenzo Jerome being a uh, moving into Sam either. Too, he played Sam with the Stampede before he got. He didn't play a lot, but enough that he knows understands the game. And it's been a while since anybody played, so there's a whole lot of adjustments going for anybody else. Special teams, do you want to go with your? Geez, who's going to be the punter, Rob? <laughs> What kind of stat you got for me for training camp on John Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm trying to think if the Rise ever had a 39-year-old punter before. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe they have. How old was Ken Clark? Ken Clark was born in 1948. His last year with the Rough Riders was 1983. He played in the Canadian Football League until he was 38 or 39, but he, he was a he was a 39-year-old, uh, was a 35-year-old punter in, in 83. So um, as far as... But John doesn't look like a 39-year-old punter. He looks like a 25-year-old no. defensive John back. Ryan can, can play yeah. pretty much the rest of my natural life, I think, the way he's, he's going. And Brett Loud will be the field goal kicker. There's really no there's no doubt about that. Henry Nell is here, a global player, as has been Scruton, Scruton. I'm not sure mm-hmm. of the, of how the, if it, whether the U is hard or soft in, in that last name. S-C-R-U-T-O-N, but they're here strictly as reinforcements, and, and if another global comes in, they may not be here at all. So uh, mm-hmm. the, the big only question on, on special teams pertains to the return, and we alluded to that earlier when, when discussing the, the, the running backs and uh, with Marcus Murphy and uh, Jamal Morrow being candidates to return kicks. Another one who is interesting there, doesn't play running back, but has tremendous credentials, is Kermit Whitfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, uh, I think it was the fastest player 
coming out of college one year and was in a very explosive, especially on kickoff returns in the NCAA. Now we he's a receiver and hasn't gotten a lot of action there because where is where are there balls to be found? But um, was that Sharon Peak on the line? And that was Mason Fine throwing it. So Mason Fine was a very nice deep ball. So, um, uh, but as far as the returners, you know, Kermit Whitfield might be a, he's a really intriguing guy because he can just absolutely fly. We won't really know with the returns until maybe the scrimmage will give us a better idea, but uh, it's tough to evaluate special teams players when players aren't barreling down the field at, uh, at full speed. They seem to be inclined to go with a running back because of the ability to back up uh, William Powell, but uh, Kermit Whitfield, as far as a returner, uh, him and Marcus Murphy have the best credentials as far as the new returners. They also have that manifest itself. Carlos Henderson could also be in the mix yeah. here once here. And so Ricardo Lewis, Lewis too is also in the mix too. I think he's been out there a little bit. Another issue. The coverage had, was issues last year. They gave up five returns, TDs on returns last year. Was kind of overlooked. I don't know they that for a guy who's a coach, that's his specialty. His special teams for that's that's a concern. And I think Kradix has, has looked at that by getting the Herb and Reed brothers to be out there to cover on special teams to get Dion Lacey to to boost their coverage stuff. So we kind of we kind of look at the flashy stuff like field goals and returns, but coverage is a bit is a big part of this game too. And maybe John Ryan because he also know. This is going to be in the all-time great writer rumbling between interruptions and oh. sneeze. Sorry about uh, that. I think John Ryan is going to be better. I think he 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 didn't he didn't his punts were high and they kind of didn't pin people back. I think maybe he's been working on it. Got better as the season went on. So I think John Ryan will be improved and it'll help the coverage. But they got they got improved coverage. I think that's one of the things that has to happen. You can't give up five touchdowns on returns and not have to take some long look at it. Well, how often has Craig Dickinson been asked during camp about a player with 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 pertinence to an offensive or defensive position? Uh, not for him only to interject that uh, he's really good on special teams. Yeah. Like that's such a large consideration. And, and most of the times that Craig Dickinson has talked about special teams, he has, I mean, there's been no need to talk about place kicker or punter. And, and, and he's talked about the returners when asked specifically about them. But the information he's volunteered about special yeah. teams is, is, is always in response to a question not pertaining to special teams, they tell you that tells you that they're really serious about upgrading the coverage, and they're, 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 they want people who can you know, do occupy multiple roles. And uh, if you're not going to start, and really in reality, there aren't a lot of starting positions available here. Only about one. There's I think there's eight question marks on the team, and uh, and uh, this was before. Um, before the before Taryn Bond's situation became more serious, as I, as I looked at it, Mer, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's only one wrong. Okay. jobs that are up for grabs. Um, uh, now again, that's that's presuming that Taryn Vaughn is back. Uh, there's eight positions overall that I think are of interest: uh, second string, second third string quarterback, and the returner. But aside from that, on offense or defense, there's six starting positions: right tackle, providing that uh, provided that. Uh, that uh, Terry Vaughn's okay for the opener. Who's going to be the, 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 the wide side Canadian receiver? Justin McInnes or who? Uh, one defensive end spot. A couple of linebacking spots. I mean, presuming that, that uh, Lacey is one of them, there's still two other spots to, to address. And, and, and the one cornerback spot. So that's six jobs out of 24 that are up for grabs. And every, every, you know, barring injury, barring... Uh, maybe even cap considerations. Maybe a, a veteran gets pushed by a younger player who is considerably cheaper. Uh, you know, could that player, you know, potentially be a defensive back, or could that player potentially be Paul McRoberts? 
you know, that might factor into it a bit, but that's not a lot. Only six jobs out of, of 24 are really, really up for grabs in terms of the starting lineup when it, for a team that hasn't played a game since uh, since uh, November of, of 2019. They were a good team. We forget in 19, but we kind of forget in 19 how good they were, you know, first place. Other than that one uh, misplay at the last part of the game, the West Final, it could have been a whole different season. We could well, talk on that trick play uh, with, yes. uh, with the punt return. That was one the block, and you and I would have been covering the Grey Cup that year. It's funny because the, the, one of the uh, writers in Winnipeg just did a story on that, on how these those two special teamers stepped up big time, especially that big play where Nick Marshall just tricked everybody in the return. I, forget, I should remember his name. I forget his name, but... And we kind of forgot about that play. We just always get sort of caught up in what happened yeah, he, with Cody Fajardo in the goalpost. And I, I can't remember who it was that uh, was the lead blocker, but he never looked behind him. And uh, the bomber player came from nowhere yeah. and uh, and made up a lot of ground and made the tackle. And, and if he doesn't do that, that's a touchdown. It's probably a different outcome. Michael and Shea he, calls that one of the greatest special teams plays he's ever seen. And Michael Shea's seen a few special teams plays in his in his career. We'll give him that. You know, that was that was as crucial as so there were a number of plays in that game. I mean, yeah. if people look at the goalposts, but this ridiculous play calling done in short yardage situations oh, yeah. on the two yard line and they're in the shotgun and they're 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 using Cody Fajardo in a sneak when he's got two torn oblique muscles. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, give it to William Powell. And I still remember it was funny. I went on the golf course that next spring and people asked him, Why didn't they give it to William Powell? Why didn't they and that was still one of the you know, and I wonder, we'll never probably know, I mean, they would know internally, but is Stephen McAdoo still the offensive coordinator if not for that game? Because you look at what Stephen McAdoo was over, able to do over the course of the year, and Jack Evans had a breakout year. Of course, there was Cody Fajardo. The Rough Riders finished first. The passing attack was so much better than it was in 2018, I think. And, and a lot of credit has to go to Stephen McAdoo for the way he, uh, he, he made that offense, helped that offense purr. But that, that, uh, then again came the Western final, and, and suddenly, yeah. is Jason Moss here, if not for the play calling in the, in the West Division final? There's a legitimate question, and one will probably never know the answer to unless I think given a free Stephen kind of ran, ran out his time here, too, by then. I think Craig might have been looking for something a little – I'm not saying this, not having – I think Craig, they needed a change. I think it was just – Where would the case have been for a change, though, if they get to they the break up? Yeah, you know, know. If, if the play calling isn't so bad in that game – they get to the Grey Cup, and uh, and 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 Hamilton. When you consider that a third-place Winnipeg team beat Hamilton, which looked like a powerhouse, there's nobody really no reason to think the Rough Riders could have done that too. So, if uh, stranger things have happened, I mean, they faced George Cortez after the masterful job he did in 2013 too. He he was still here yeah. in 2014, but they for some reason he fell out of favor. But uh, is Jason Moss here, if not for that the, mm. the repeated play calling uh, uh, blunders. Regardless, I think the players are excited. Sorry, regardless, the players are excited about Jason Maud being here. They're excited about the way his offense is. The receivers are excited about playing all sorts of different positions and across the line. And Cody's excited about working with a, a former quarterback. So I'm just excited a lot. But that's but if you look at the numbers, excited. <laughs> if you look at the numbers of the Jason Moss offense in 2019 compared to Stephen McAdoo, there's a lot of instances where the Rough Riders' offense was better. Now the Eskimos had Trevor Harris only playing 13 games. Uh, pardon me, Elks. Had Trevor Harris only playing for <laughs> games, so that skews the numbers a bit. But uh, the Eskimos' offense—it's not like the Eskimos had this ultra-explosive offense, and the Rough Riders didn't. In, in, in a lot of cases, the numbers are comparable. In some cases, the Stephen McAdoo numbers are superior. And again, the, the Rough Riders finished first, and the Eskimos missed the playoffs. Elks—he was going to do that not only once but twice. So, uh, based upon stats, and those can be illusory. Um, 
there wasn't really a compelling case to do it. Maybe it just came down to feel, or maybe it just came down to that. Uh, I'll get onto this tangent. But the West Division right. final of, of 2019. Anyway, anyway else you want to point out? Uh, no, it looks like it's raining here today. It's yeah. raining, camp. It's raining, camp. That's really a bit of a change. So Keon Adams is jogging back and forth across the. Uh, field again. You can see a lot of guys doing that. That seems to be the exercise of choice, workout of choice. You know what's interesting to me, Murr, is that coming into camp, uh, I mean, obviously there was so much talk about the four blown Achilles tendons, and you were thinking, okay, what's camp going to look like on day one or day two if, if they can't get through a players and only workout? And yes, there have been some injuries, but there ha- the injuries they've had haven't been of the catastrophic variety that Jinx. we saw in that, 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 uh, that uh, ominous Thursday before camp. Uh, you would you would think uh, maybe based upon what happened early that camp would have been a uh, they would have needed a, a triage desk on the sideline but uh, they've just gotten through camp so far with just the normal type of injuries one would expect. But unfortunately, there's a Winnipeg Blue Bomber tore his Achilles, so he's gone. So that you know, if you're counting at home, that's seven that Achilles nice. Achilles tendons in you know the first two weeks that things have opened, and I wonder. If that's a sign of still more to come. So you, you hate to see that because I'm looking down the field. I see one of the guys on crutches or two of the guys are down there on crutches and they have uh, casts on their Achilles. So I'm assuming he's one of the guys. I can't tell who he is because he has a hoodie on. Mind you, I wouldn't know who they were. But they all, and I guess we should know that they all had successful surgeries and uh, now it's a, a long trip back. The long, it's funny how many. How many people you meet that have had Achilles injuries now? That I'm torn Achilles. I golf with the I bring up golf, but I golfed the other day and two of the guys. One guy blew up both of them. I'm a little worried. I'm planning to play touch football again this fall, so uh, maybe I should just stick to walking the dog around the lake. Anyway, the the big thing we're looking forward to is the scrimmage on Saturday, and I can tell you with my experience that scrimmages are scrimmagey. <laughs> sometimes they're never quite as exciting as you think, and sometimes they just are. Uh, what are they? They're very controlled. There's, I don't know how many fans. Are there, did, did they say 5,000 fans? 5,000. So that would be pretty cool to see that if there's that many people here for a scrimmage to watch and get the first one because it's their only chance. It really makes it tough. And I, we go back to the quarterbacks a bit. Like, how do the quarterbacks move up if they don't play a game? And that's going to be the opportunity, but it's still going to be so controlled in a scrimmage. It's not like they go up and down the field doing a bunch of things that uh, they would normally do in a game. It's you know, they want to get them in first and 10, second and 10, second and 30, and everything else, just to see how they react and whatnot. And I still don't think they're allowed to take the guys to the ground, so there's not a lot of big hitting going on. But I think they may – these guys are probably tired of doing drills and running against air, so it'll be, be fun. It'll be fun to see a big crowd here. A big crowd, sorry, 5,000 is not a big crowd. But for COVID, it's a big crowd. It'll be the most people I've been around for a long, long time. So uh, hopefully everyone turns out. It's a beautiful day, and uh, the smoke blows away. So it'll be it's going to be huge for the second, you know, perspective backup for third string quarterbacks. And uh, uh, you know, you covered the scrimmage in 2017 when Vince Young had his farewell, farewell <laughs> performance and uh, his farewell jog. Now the players have a first round draft pick, NFL first round draft pick again at quarterback, or at least vying for one of the quarterback jobs with Paxton Lynch. I think a lot of eyes will be there. You know, Paxton Lynch may never. Um, Play it down in the Canadian Football League, but this is going to be, I think, something that the Bears watching, considering the, the marquee value attached to his name. And and you got to think of all all things being equal, you know, if it comes down to Paxton Lynch, Mason Fine, and Tom Flacco for the number three job, how do you not uh, 
go with Paxton Lynch of all things are being equal, considering this is someone who the NFL, the Denver Broncos once found Denver Broncos once found so intriguing that uh, they drafted him in the first round. He's six foot seven and two hundred forty three pounds. He looked like a defensive end. So, uh, but this is where the this is probably going to be the best opportunity for for Flacco, Fine, or or Paxton Lynch to establish that they 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 belong here the the whole year. I broached that topic a little earlier, though, but he's made money. He's got he's made nearly ten million dollars in the NFL. I would still think he has some of it left. Is he want to come? In, does he want to stay on the practice roster for whatever the practice roster is playing, just for the opportunity to grow for a year? That that's a big question. You know, that's and it's, it's not it's not it's not an unfair question for him to deal with. But you know, that, I don't think he has to answer. He doesn't have to. But that's you know, these other guys, Fine and Flacco, they're both kind of starting out. They're probably willing to spend a year learning how to be a quarterback in the CFL. I just know if Lynch has the patience or the or the time to want to do well, that. But he certainly has enough money in the bank, but it's not going to be a financial hardship for him to do it. So it might be advantageous right. in, in one respect yeah. for him to do that. Um, the uh, And if he, if he does legitimately aspire to get back to the National Football League, well, this is, you can't really wait till 2023 for the yeah. XFL uh, yeah. or USFL next year. I mean, this is this is the, uh, the, the beginning of, of that process for him. And if he's yeah. serious about it, uh, one, of the, one of the knocks on him with Denver that is he wasn't really a playbook wonk. He wasn't, yeah. you know, he had all the physical tools in the world, but just wasn't putting in the time that was required. If he can, if he can demonstrate to the National Football League that despite coming up to Canada in a place he'd never heard of in a game with which he was totally unfamiliar, he's willing to, to make, you know, pennies compared to what he's used to and really be serious about learning the game. I think that would uh, that would carry a lot of weight with NFL general managers. I mean, he's only 27 years old, and maybe he is yeah, a no, he person than the person, person who came in in 2016 and and, uh, and proceeded to disappoint. A so. detriment to all these guys, Rob, is going to be is no preseason games. I'm not talking about preparation for the season, which is very important. I'm talking about there's going to be no film of them doing anything on the CFL field, and that's huge because every team will watch a preseason game. Well, I guess if they're televised. Yeah, they're televised in 19. Some, some are. Some are enough where that and teams of film is available, so they can show, show they can actually play, and a team might be interested in picking one of them up. I don't think there's going to be a lot of film from the scrimmage that's really going to say this guy's done this or this guy's done that and sign for that. So, uh, oh, someone went down on the play, on the rushing there. I'm trying to see that, sir. I don't, it looks like 76. So I have to look at my roster because who's 76? That is uh, Xavier Busso. Why would he be? I don't think that's him. It looks no. like him. Sorry, folks. You can't really. I can't tell what's going on because I don't even have. Oh. It does anyway. look serious. Uh, Vince, uh, Vincent Vincent is a defensive back. That's a defensive player. So the draftee. Uh, hopefully that is not. That's we're yeah, just talking. We're just talking about injuries, and, and here we go. Um, Anyway, we should probably get back to, to watching practice, and uh, uh, hopefully you've gained something from uh, learning, from watching us go through the roster. Oh, uh, Jordan Hughes will be the long snapper. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but he's so, had, he's had a finger injury, I think. He dislocated a finger snapping a ball. I want to ask him how you, dis, how you dislocate a finger snapping a ball. That must have been a lot of torque on the football to do that. But uh, another another topic for another day. Uh, Murph, thanks so much for... Uh, for uh, Lend your expertise to this, and uh, we'll do this again uh, next Tuesday. Uh, After scrimmage, boy, we'll be full of information then. <laughs> the regular season creeping inexorably closer. 
for Lauren McCormick uh, and for our producer, Mark Melichuk, oops, who has ordered me to read the little thingy at the end, which I never have queued up. Isn't this riveting podcasting? Um, I've got it in my inbox. Where is it? Uh, here, no, that's not it. Um, if you, I got to do this from memory. If you like the podcast, please feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, that being Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Twitcher. What's the other one? Uh, and uh, uh, feel free to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Rob Vanstone. Murray is at Murray LP. I hope I got that correct. Uh, Mark will be reprimanding me uh, summarily and deservedly. Uh, for Murray McCormick, I'm Rob Vanstone. Thanks so much for your time today, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you in a week's time. Take care.